When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt. How are you doing today, Matt? I was just noticing that you're doing the same thing I used to do when I was in college, when you do the opening. It's it's interesting that we just seem to instinctively do it. This is the radio voice. Free WQRI FM, The Rock. Okay. <laughs> yeah, every night. Uh, yeah, it's a hard habit to break, folks. Uh, but we're going to be spending some time not talking about radio today. We're going to be talking about Lore and the Games of Blizzard Entertainment, and we are going to be answering your questions. If you have questions for this podcast or the other podcast, be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. If you happen to be a Patreon supporter, first of all, thank you. Second of all, we have a special channel on our Discord for you to put your questions into which we do look at, and as a matter of fact, several of uh, the last week's episodes have uh, been filled to the brim with those questions. It's the Patreon Supporter Podcasting Q Questions channel. Uh, and if you are not a Patreon supporter, we understand, but we do have a uh, channel set aside specifically for uh, Q questions, but we also look there for podcast questions if you want to drop us a line there. But without further ado, we're going to get right into the meat of it. First up, our question from Vertigree. Uh, question for Low Watch or Blizzard Watch Pod. Ha 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 ha. I'm just going through the Demon Hunter uh, Demon Hunter Order Hall, and I realize something. Although we, the player, are an original Demon Hunter from Burning Crusade time, once we get our recruitable troops, those are actually new Demon Hunters. While our ship in Mardoom, we find trainer Ariana Fireheart, left behind her on our mission in BC. The quest giver confirms it. Glad to hear that Ariana has recovered and is ready to train up our first new Demon Hunters. It's been a while since we've had some fresh blood in our ranks. Yours, Vertigree. I put this in here because we talked about this uh, last week's Lore Watch and a little bit on the, the Blizzard Watch podcast about whether or not there were going to ever be more Demon Hunters. What is your take on this? Because I, I actually did not remember this at all. Yeah. Um, but 
to be honest, I don't think it changes much because that was during the Legion offensive. And I don't think at this point there's any sign that they're recruiting more demon hunters. For that matter, I can't imagine there's that many recruits. I mean, how many people are going to, you know, it's one thing to join up an order like the, like the demon hunters, the Illidari, when the Legion is at your door and, you know, the demons are actually attacking. It's a lot harder to recruit for, you know, let's be clear. It's, it's kind of a one-way ticket. Once you become a demon hunter, that's it. You, you can't really undo it. At some point, the demon is going to win and you are going to die. Like you eat the demon heart and you become a demon hunter. And then, you know, there's no, there's no way out of that. You, you can't un become a demon hunter. You, you can't just say, okay, well, Mr. Demon or Mrs. Demon, I don't know. I'm not going to assume your gender. Uh, you know, I, I'm done with you now. So I'm going to retire. No, sooner or later, you're going to, you're fighting that demon forever. And sooner or later, you are going to lose. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, they have the capacity, I suppose. I don't know how they're doing it. I mean, that's, we saw how, if you read the Illidan book, you, we saw how demon hunters are made. You know, we under, we know how more of them exist. And it's kind of, I'm not sure who's doing the ritual now. I don't know, you know, who. If, obviously somebody might be. I mean, they, they, they go find a demon and then they do the ritual con- consumption of its flesh and now the demon lives within them that's i guess they can do that again but i don't I, you know i don't know yeah and i think it's a, a, a that is sort of my take on it too is like during legion it kind of makes a little bit of sense that they could still get folks to sort of sign on with it right because while the legion is knocking at the door there's an abundance of demons readily available to take and uh do what they need to do with as far as that ceremony goes but it is to me, it's a. It is interesting that I don't know if I just glossed over because I've played a demon hunter and I've done the demon hunter stuff a bunch of times, and I I just never caught on to that. And I also it opens up that other door now that the the legion is sort of like dissolved, which questionable. Uh, but with demons running loose, is it a thing where maybe we see other folks throughout time and space that wind up getting their homes ravaged and are willing to sign on with it. Do we start getting non elf demon hunters? Does that make them demon hunters still? Like there's a whole bunch of questions that could start opening up from that, uh, depending on how things go in the future. So I'm kind of curious to see what, if anything they do with it, or if they mention that canonically demon hunters are sort of done. So, which they at one point did with, I believe, I believe it was death Knights at one point, but then they walked that back. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, our next question comes from War Ancient. Question for Lorewatch. Do you think Elune organized the tier of Elune, Ysera, and ju- just maybe uh, Tyrande into Ardenweld as a sneaky way to support her sister, knowing trouble was coming with the Jailer? Uh, yeah. If there's time, the Lady and the Blue Child is the Winter Queen, the Blue Child. Would the, That would suggest an age-power differential versus Elune. So... I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Do you have any thoughts on Elune as far as orchestrating all of that? Not to not to not answer that question. I am going to answer it, but I went and looked up Ariana Fireheart, and the text I found is, I remember her being an excellent trainer of demon hunters. We should put her talents to good use immediately. Okay. That doesn't say we have demon hunters to train. It just says that she's a good trainer. It doesn't say anything about new demon hunters. Okay. 
So uh, that doesn't really answer your question, but in fact, it makes it more complicated because at no point does it say, oh, and we've got a bunch of new demon hunters. They just say they should train them. They could mean themselves. They could mean, well, you know, we're demon hunters and she's a great trainer of demon hunters, so she should train us. I, I don't, but I wanted to, to do that before I jumped on to the, sure. the whole thing. I, I think at this point, I mean, it's, I don't know. I don't know any of this. Uh, the, the question about, you know, that's when people ask, you know, we, we know that if at this point we're pretty sure that Alune is the Winter Queen's sibling. It seems it seems pretty solid that Alune is the person that the Winter Queen is referring to when she says my sister's pet, when she's talking to uh, Ysera. I don't know if Alune did the thing that you've just suggested, if she is using... Ysera and the, and uh, Taranda as a sleeper way to get help to her sister. If she did, that's really kind of callous. It's super callous. Um, it doesn't seem alone like. I mean, but on the other hand, she might have taken you know advantage of the situation because you know okay things are desperate and this is happening. I mean, we don't. There's really people have pointed out before that alone doesn't. You know, like here's one example. Until Taranda became the 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 night warrior and you know basically demanded it alun didn't smite the horde the horde attacked teldrassil they burned it to the ground and alun didn't do anything to them she doesn't like seem to directly act very often like the the, the only time we got direct action from alun was after taranda became the night warrior then the you know she basically demanded alun's aid alun uh eclipsed the moon and turned uh Ashenvale into like permanent darkness. I'm not Ashenvale. Uh, Darkshore. You know, put, put Darkshore into permanent darkness, and you know, her Tyrande could then use her power to directly attack the Horde. But Alun didn't do anything. Alun did not directly do anything. The closest she took to direct action was when people were like the people on on Teldrassil were dying. She put them to sleep so they wouldn't experience it. That's it. That's all she did. I mean, we it it confirms that you know thousands of people died on Teldrassil. But Alun did not stop it. She did not act directly. So we don't know why that is. We don't know why Alun does the things she does the way she does them. We, we really know very little about Alun. Uh, there's an old quest going back to, to Vanilla, and I, I think you all remember it, Joe. Uh, it's in Winterspring, and it's basically you find out that the, the, uh, the Moonkin are called that because the, Alun yep. did create them directly. Yep. And they used to serve Alun directly as her, like, you know, heralds, kind of. They 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 did her bidding, but now they don't anymore. And there's there's not really any, uh, we never get any explanation as to why Alun just stopped using them. Like, keep in mind that. Or even if she did stop using them, like, she may have stopped using them to do direct, to direct communication, or maybe not, we don't know. But don't forget, they were also there to protect the sacred places to Alun. They're still in the mm -hmm. world. The Wildkin are still out there. Yeah, and it's it's but it's like they used to like seem seemingly come forth and actually directly speak to the night elves. It's quite possible that the thing I was thinking is that about before ten thousand years ago, and I'm not sure exactly when. We don't know exactly when it happened, but there was a city called Elundris, the the Eye of Elun, and it was world famous as you know the center of the of the night elf people. And then a a girl was born. And she became basically the empress of the Night Elves. And her name was Ashara. And she didn't like that people credited Alun with anything. 
Yeah, she didn't want and she so, didn't want Alun to be worshipped. She wanted to be worshipped. So she changed the name of the city to Zinashari. And the people did it. They did what she wanted. They turned they we forget that it seems like the Alun Alun worship seems so prevalent in modern and night elf society that we forget that during the time of the of the original demon invasion into Azeroth, the the Temple of Alun was basically a fringe group that, mm-hmm. that was not in power. I mean they they existed, their temples were old, but they were no longer respected. They weren't worshipped like they had been. I mean, they, they didn't have the worshippers they once had because m- much of their society had gone over to, you know, basically just thinking arcane magic was everything. And it's always interesting to me that, like, dr- even druids have an arcane spell, you know? There's there is a certain amount of... Uh, my curiosity is exactly what... We don't know what a loon is or how a loon works, but it's quite possible that whatever rift you want to consider between the night elves and a loon that happened might have affected the way a loon works or just her willingness to directly interact with people that's something that we don't really know and there's a lot more we don't know about it too especially with now that we've been going through uh shadowlands and in particular the ardenweld if you're doing the night warrior stuff there and you're learning about the previous night warriors and you're learning that a loon touches multiple planets multiple places of existence at this point is present and has power throughout the cosmos in some capacity. But we're also not told the level of which Elun interacted with that culture, which I find fascinating. Like we know that Elun gifted the the powers of the night warrior uh, in their time of need to fight an old God. And that's it. Like we don't know about their society beforehand. They don't talk about their home, uh, what they did or how their worship was. Um, or even what they, you know, it's going to sound goofy, but even what they looked like uh, before they were reborn in Ardenweld as a stag and a deer. Um, it's it's fascinating to think that there's so many different facets to Elune that we don't understand or that we don't know. She seems like she's been so present since the very beginning, yet even now, even when we're learning so much more about things revolving around her or, or in orbit around her, that we still know very, very little. Like, Again, we, we've talked about this before. When you're doing uh, Antorus and you're going and you're fighting everything off, that one place you go to find Anar soul is Lunaria. Why is it called a Lunaria? Why is it a Titan facility on a planet that seems to be named after a Uh There's a connection with the Titans that we don't understand. The Titans talk about a Loon at, at some form, whether it is... Uh, they, but they don't we, – we're going to talk about this a little bit later. But they don't put her on, like, the same footing as themselves or other cosmic entities. They just sort of acknowledge that Elune exists. Why? You know, and then the thing about the the, the other part of this question with the, the lady and the blue child, if that's a sneaky reference to uh, the differential between Elune and uh, the, the, the Night Fae Queen. Sorry, I can't talk today. Um Maybe, or maybe it's just two moons. Maybe it has nothing to do with a loon whatsoever. Who knows? Uh, it's it's fascinating. It's one of those things that I want to know more about, but I also kind of really enjoy the mystery because a loon can kind of do anything. And I like the idea of not having or of having an entity that doesn't directly intervene. And even when they do, it's. I don't want to say it's a minor thing, but it's not what you expect. Like with the burning of Tildrassil, 
as emotional and horrible as that was, you would expect that Elune would have had some form of direct intervention, would have done something, would have retaliated or, or, or done something to protect her people. We've seen the power of Elune called and channeled and done so many phenomenal things. But at the end of the day, the thing that Elune chose to do was to ease her people's suffering long enough for them to not basically feel themselves burning alive. She put them to sleep. Why was that the choice? And that very clearly wasn't what anybody expected Elune to do. Elune was expected to be this commanding presence, this forceful presence that could be called upon, at least in this particular instance, to do something, something more than what she did. And I sort of like that enigmatic aspect of it. And and I think Matt's hitting on something that I, I that is a potential uh, lead into why she chooses to do what she does. She was kind of cast out from society for a long time. Like worship of her was not the primary thing. It wasn't until much later that that started becoming a, a normal part of night elf culture again. But during the time of Ezra, wasn't a thing. That was all about the arcane. It was all about magic and honing that power and tapping into that power. And it wasn't a loon. It wasn't worship. While a loon was still around, there was still the the temple of a loon and, and and everything else. It wasn't quite the same. Society shifted. And somebody asked this question. A long time ago, does that have an impact on the power of Elun? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, Elun seems to be present everywhere, so I don't think just the Night Elves not worshipping her would impact her core power. But it might interact with her ability exactly. or willingness. Yeah. Yeah, so that it might it might limit it. Like I go back to the Anduin thing. Like Anduin can channel the light in a way that a lot of others can't because of his unique relationship with the light. But the light I think is a good not necessarily one-to-one analog, but a, a good way to look at it, at least in terms of a loon channeling her power. With the light, you it's there, it's something you can tap into, and it seems like the more concentration of people you have that can wield it, the more powerful it becomes. We've seen that in the past a little bit. That might be the same thing with a loon. We don't know. And again, it also depends on what a loon is, which we still have no idea. So... But yeah, it's it's an interesting interesting perspective. But maybe Elune is taking just advantage of the bad situation, which I think is the most likely. Uh, I think Matt's right on that one. Or she could be scheming from the very beginning and playing 4D chess, and we just don't understand yet what her game plan is. But I think it's, it's- also something to, to point out that's only tangentially related, but it's worth considering. Um, Draenor had two moons. Mm-hmm. It might be that worlds that have two moons are part of the cycle in some way. I don't know. You know, we don't know if the planet that the I think Theranax is that his name. Theranax. Um, yeah, I don't know if the planet he was from had two moons. I so I don't you know, but it's something worth considering. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe we'll find out some more in the future. I hope we do because I really want to know a little bit more about Elune, but not too much. I don't want the mystery to be. Oh, that's actually an interesting point too. As I was looking up Elune and stuff, and someone made a good point. Um, in the uh, hour of twilight, in the uh, the dungeon end times, when the the old gods have ravaged Azeroth and Deathwing is ascendant, Taronda could still call upon the power of a loon. Yeah, the eclipse, but still, it's still part of a loon. Yeah, she could still call upon it. She could still use it. So, uh, whatever a loon is, the the fact that there were multiple, like the old gods had had one on Azeroth, did not. Her. And we know that the Night Warrior was powerful enough to defeat an old god. You know what's interesting so. about that fight, though, too, now that I'm thinking about it? The Night Elves that you fight while you're making your way up to 
uh, Tarand. They're all shrouded in darkness and, and, uh, sort of like this miasma that you can't get through until you drag them into the moonlight. And then you can actually affect them almost like it takes off the whatever protective coating of the corruption is, which I find fascinating, especially during that, that whole scenario. I, I, I didn't think I really thought about that until now. That might have more meaning. We might be able to explore that a little bit. Who knows? Uh, anything else you want to add about Elune before we move on to our next one? Oh, I think I'm good. All right. This one comes from Ashen Wings. Questions for Lorewatch. Longtime listener, first-time questioner. Have they explained what the relationship between spirit healers, the Valkyr, and the Kyrian? They all look very similar and have some power over death, but clearly are not the same. I know Valkyr are specifically Vicral chosen ones, like likely made by Odin after his deal with the Jailer. However, what about spirit healers? Returning us to life seems a counter to the Kyrian way. We've talked about this a lot, but I'm going to let you go. No, actually, you should go. No, go for it, please. Okay, well, I feel like we're doing that thing where each of us doesn't want to talk. So, <laughs> um, the Valkyr are, in fact, everything you just said. That's that's literally their origin. Odin got traded his eye to somebody who worked for the jailer. It turns out to have been Wizala, and for the information he needed to create beings who could straddle the line between life and death and bring spirits back out of the Shadowlands uh, for him to use as his Stormforged. That's exactly their origin. Hela was the first one. It seems very likely that they always intended Hela on, on the other side. The Jailer knew what Odin would do. He knew that Hela would object, and he was hoping that this would happen. It seems at least possible. However, you want to slice it, though. Hela w- Helia was the first one, and then she basically rebelled. You know all that story. Um, but that's, that is where the, the Valkyr come from. Even the Valkyr that serve Odin right now are still... Vrykul, who are chosen, he uses the original ritual to change to make them. Uh, Helia can c- clearly make her own as well because she's the one that actually knew the ritual. Uh, so yeah, th- that's where they come from. Both both the uh, Odin serving ones and the Helia serving ones come from that that gift of knowledge. And even the Lich King uh, serving ones come from that as well. Yeah, because those are the ones that served Helia. Yep. Um, however, uh, the specific in relationship between spirit healers and the Kyrian. Now, it, it seems clear that the Vrykul uh, Valkyr are a like corruption of the basic idea of the Kyrian. Uh, it's it's they they are like it's I don't want to say an, an an abomination of them, but something where it, it seems like the Jailer basically snuck Odin the information he would need to make his own, which is interesting because it implies that that relationship between the Pantheon of Death. And the Titans is closer than we thought because Odin is a Titan forged. He was created by the Titans. He's like one step down from a Titan. And so if he has the ability to make his own uh, Kyrian, essentially it, it's, it implies that that's the kind of thing that the Pantheon of Death could, could offload to somebody else. You know, that could be like a, a servant of one of them that can make more of them. That's, that's an interesting thing to think about. But in terms of the spirit healer, it's been said that the spirit healers are Kyrian. They're just carrion that are like when they, when they bring you back, they do so because it's not your time. Like you, and does that mean that this whole thing has been setting, you know, heading up to this moment? I don't know, but that's that's the lore explanation I remember seeing. Yeah, I remember them being, uh, and I think this was an, an article that Anne actually wrote a very very long time ago. I want to say almost ten years at this point, and it was during Wrath, and it was the connection between the Valkyr and the Spirit Healers before we knew that Kyrian ever existed. Um, 
And it was said that at the time that spirit healers were, they seemed to be, at, they thought to be Valkyr that would basically ferry you back to life if you were uh, killed before your time. And now we know, at least I believe they said this specifically during uh, the BlizzCon prior to uh, the release of Shadowlands, they said that when they introduced Kyrian, that spirit healers were Kyrian who didn't they didn't want to be part of that duty cycle. And I'm paraphrasing. I forgot the exact words that they used, um, but they didn't want to just ferry folks to wherever they needed to go into the afterlife. They actually wanted to stay behind and make sure that those that it wasn't their time could come back. And so they are essentially not Valkyr, but Kyrian that decided to take up that role instead. And they've also been very interesting throughout the history of Warcraft because Spirit healers, just like some of the Valkyr, some of them have names. Some of them have some interesting interactions with uh, some of the other NPCs. There was an NPC that was in love with the spirit healer at one point, wasn't there, if I remember correctly? Uh, Azurgos. Yeah. So that's right. Azurgos was was in love with, uh, I want to say her name was Anara. Yeah, I think that was right. Um, But yeah, that was a thing because... Of course, why not? Dragon loves the spirit healer, sure. Um, and they're all scattered throughout everywhere. Not every graveyard has. Well, I mean, if you let me put it this way, do you guys remember? You know, there's a Kyrian named Watcher Havros, who's one of the Kyrian Watchers. Mm-hmm. Spirit healers are Kyrian Watchers, according to an interview that Johnny Cash did. Um, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, it was with uh, I don't know what SA Gamers is. I never heard of it before, but they did an interview. Uh, he talked about it, and he specifically says that spirit healers are Kyrian Watchers. So they're the ones that are basically, their job is to stay on Azeroth and watch. And if a death is one that should be carried forth into the afterlife, they call a bearer to come get them. And if not, they kind of gently shove you back into life. Like, nope, you're not dead yet. Get in there. Or not so gently in the terms of if you choose to have them resurrect you and you have your left timer. Yeah, well, that's a game thing. It's not everything actually (laughs) is part of the game lore, okay? That's just a game mechanic. But yeah, it's basically the spirit healers are Kyrian. They're just Kyrian that are, they're watching Azeroth or other worlds. There might be other ones on other worlds. I mean, obviously we've seen them under Enor. So yeah, they they are just Kyrian watchers whose job is to evaluate whether or not it's your time. You know, it's the whole part of the Kyrian's job is to determine where you belong. If you belong in the land of the living, they put you back there. That's the that's where spirit healers come from. Yeah. So unlike the Valkyr, the Valkyr are not Kyrian. They're obviously some kind of twisted version of a Kyrian. They're, you know, they're using Titan power to to kind of approximate the Kyrian. But the the actual Kyrian, the, the spirit healers are part of it. Yeah. And I also think it's. It's interesting, too, that unlike uh, the Vykrul being chosen to be the Valkyr, uh, Kyrian basically can be whoever. They're just given a new form. Their their spirit, their anima is transformed into it. Doesn't matter if they were a Tauren life. Doesn't matter if they were, uh, you know, a gnome. Doesn't matter. So I think it's it's also fascinating that uh, the prototype or the the original uh, is a lot more universal than the copies uh because that's what the uh the valkyr really really all right our next question comes from suggle kitten hello ingredients i am thinking we already know the jailer's crime consider how time is twisted in the shadowlands 
and may not even be linear. The Jailer has worked to corrupt the clean soul in Anduin. Once done, that act is unforgivable. Corrupting Anduin has taken more and more of the Jailer's essence. Once the Anduin battery is full, the Jailer orders him to destroy the Arbiter's body. The fight raid takes so much effort. The light helps Anduin break free, standing over next to the Arbiter. All that energy goes into the Arbiter, and she awakens. This suddenly drains the energy put the jailer's con- uh, and puts the Jailer unconscious. Just like night and day, only one can be active at a time. The Arbiter does a million years of judgment, and what appears to be... Uh, to us and appears to be 15 minutes. She then sacrifices herself to go back to the beginning of time, create a new mall using her hometown and imprison the jailer. Her statement is that she needs to prevent the chains of a chain of events from happening. Uh, Suggle, that's a very interesting theory, but I really don't think we're ever going to see time traveling uh, Shadowlands. Wow. Cosmic entities. Also, we know that the jailer and the arbiter were active at the same time. They've pretty much flat out said that. I don't know if that really dictates what the crime of the jailer is, though. Uh, and if you're saying that it is the corruption of souls that leads to the the weird flow of time, maybe. But also, it just seems to be an artifact of the Shadowlands. Like they've they flat out said that the Shadowlands itself, time just doesn't translate the same way. Yeah, time uh, is a concept of mortality. Yeah, because so. they, time doesn't matter to them. It's it's not a thing they have to worry about. Mortals worry about time because. Time to us as a mortal, at some point it runs out, and well, then you go to the Shadowlands. Um, as far as what happens with the whole corruption of Anduin, that's I think that's a whole separate thing. I And again, I don't think it's a corruption of Anduin. We've talked about this, I think, before, and before I let Matt say anything about it again, Matt made some really good points about, essentially, Anduin is like, it's almost like a drone pilot. Like, he's, he's being almost ridden around a little bit, because if you notice... When that cinematic happens and Anduin has that control, it's almost as if he, when he loses that control and even before that, it's the jailer speaking. It's not Anduin speaking. It's, you know, I've come for what's mine, essentially. So I don't know. And I don't know if corrupting a single mortal is really that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things to the Shadowlands. Think about it. The Shadowlands, all of the, the first ones, all of the Pantheon of Death, they're working with mortals just fine. They're giving you their power just fine. Uh, when you are tying your soul to another fey creature and like Ardenweld to one of those night fey, that's also tying yourself to the power of the queen because she's the one that makes all of them. She's the one that forms all of them. It's her power, her her essence that forms them. It's the same thing with the Venthyr. It's the same thing with the Kyrian. It's when you're doing that, you're tied in some capacity to that that entity. And if that was such a crime, well, then every single one of them is guilty of it all at that same point. And I don't think that's really what they care about. I don't think we actually know what his crime was. I think we're starting to get an idea of what it was going to be. And I think it's more likely that he was locked away or isolated before he could actually commit his crime, before he could actually carry out the intentions of his actions. And I think we're just now starting to see him basically moving on with what he would have done had he had been left uh, unbothered and not completely tethered to a plane of existence or a, a realm. Like he is currently. We're starting to see him trying to break out. We're starting to see that he's trying to gather certain information and certain pieces of things. Yes, it's a long con. Yes, it's a long game. But he's he's now working on whatever his original plan was again. And he's making progress towards it again. And I think that's it. We're trying to stop the crime really from happening, which is what they tried to do in the first place. Um, 
do you want to say anything about that before we move on to the the next part of the question or statement? Well, I mean, I'm thinking about in terms of well, you've already made the point that we don't even know if Anduin. You can argue that Anduin hasn't even been corrupted. I mean, he's if you're not if you're not doing these things of your own volition, you're being forced to do them. I mean, you're not guilty of them, uh, and we don't. So that's that's one case you could make whether or not there's any corruption in the first place. Anduin's not Arthas. Mm-hmm. Anduin didn't pick this thing up of his own free will. Anduin didn't, you know, enter into a bargain. Anduin is being forced. Uh, coercion does when if someone is is literally forced to do something, they're not responsible for it. The person who forced them to do it is. So that's that's thing one. I, I definitely don't think Anduin's what he's done to Anduin doesn't seem to be using up more and more of the jailer's essence. He doesn't seem like he's expending a ton of energy on it. It feels like you know he's just doing it and it's fine he's not you don't see like maybe we'll see some stuff about the jailer you know you you know going oh it takes all my energy to control him or whatever but so far that doesn't seem to be the case at all um in terms of what's going on we have to remember too that there are two things going on there's there's whatever the jailer was originally trying to do but right now what we're seeing is the jailer attempting to free himself from the maw Mm -hmm. which implies he wasn't always confined there that you know there was a time where he was not imprisoned in the maw which implies that there was a time, you know, what was the Maw before it was his prison? Like, did the Maw always exist? Was it always called the Maw? Um, that's something we don't know. We might find out because Corthia apparently has secrets of the Maw in it. Um, we're going to find out more about the Nathrazim and, and why Sire Denathrius created them. It seems likely Sire Denathrius will get out uh, and we'll deal with him again if, if we, you know, it's we've seen that in previous expansions where a villain is beaten in a raid and then later on they escape. Uh, we could see something like that. The way Ashara was in a raid and then later on we saw her again in the next raid. We might see Sire Denathrius, you know, again in a different role. I don't know, but that's something we might find out. Like, did the jailer tell him to make them or did he make them on his own? What was the purpose of them? But Corthia definitely seems to be important to them, and it seems to be important to the jailer's plan because the jailer is the one who sent out the giant chains and grabbed it and pulled it into the maw. Um, the fact that he can do that, I mean, think about like, he has the ability to just add things to the mall. The mall was his prison, but he can control, like he can control it to that level. That implies that before it was like a prison, it was his realm. And we, it looks like it's been destroyed by something. Did he destroy it? I mean, was he trying to do something and he, and he shattered it? We don't know. We, We have very little idea. We don't, we don't know a lot. But it definitely seems clear he is attempting to free himself, which he's he's trying to get those keys, those those runes, the one that we see uh, Anduin take from the uh, Archon Kyrestria. We we know that another one of them is later on returned to the Primus, and that's how we get the Primus back. Um, but by now the the jailer's already used it, um, so there's two down. Uh, so there's we know Denathrius is involved in that and possibly has yeah. already given it to him. We don't know. If Denathrius has one, I mean, we don't we don't even know who had them all. I mean, is the, we know that the heart of the forest was involved in this to some degree, and right now it's currently the Winter Crane has it back, but she's got the Drust to deal with, and there's a lot going on there. There, there's we don't know exactly how he's going to free himself. We don't know how close he is, but he seems like he's you know on his way to doing so, and we don't know what that will then allow him to do. We know that there's. A few things in the files right now that have been data mined out that imply that we are going to be going from Torghast to the the rip over Azeroth to possibly even directly to um, Oribos during the the last fight of the of the Torghast raid, and we don't know what's going to happen, but it's possible we'll be fighting in the Arbiter's chamber. So 
does Sylvanas directly attack the Arbiter? I don't know. I have no idea, but we know that that's a one possibility. In terms of what the Jailer did, I mean, obviously, when you do the, the uh, if you remember the, the pre-expansion event in Ice Crown, one of the things that happens is you go and you find like a, a there's a Morsworn Kyrian who's like leading a group of the Cult of the Damned. And that Kyrian basically says that the Arbiter is coming for the soul of Azeroth. Uh, and he's they talk about reclaiming what's his. You know, he will reclaim what's his. He's coming for the soul of Azeroth. Like, why is the soul of Azeroth his? Yeah, why does why is that claim applicable? Yeah, what is what is going on with that? I mean, is it just that he thinks so? I mean, you know, th- there's a ton we don't know. So while I don't I don't know that you know, as Joe pointed out, the Arbiter and the Jailer have been both been active at the same time. Like because the jailer was active in the maw the whole time that the arbiter was active in Oribos, sending people to the maw. Um, I, I you know I really just I don't think it's going to be what you're saying here. I don't think Anduin is Anduin is a means to an end. He's not like this. He's not this giant Deus Ex Machina that will allow the jailer yeah. to accomplish everything he wants. He's he's being forced to be a part of the plan, but he's just a means to an end. He's not that big a deal. Um, at least that's how it seems right now. Yeah, and and that's that's kind of what I get from it too. Is like Anduin is important to the story, sure, but he's not he's not the linchpin that everything hinges upon. He's not. And plus, don't forget the the other thing that I think a lot of people have been forgetting too is throughout this entire time that we've been here, and we don't know how long beforehand because we don't have a timetable because time doesn't exist in the Maw or in in the Shadowlands in the same capacity. So we don't know. It could have been eons comparatively. When the weapon from Revendreth was fired at the Arbiter and put the Arbiter down, we don't know how long it's been. We don't have a time. And from that time, from the point where the Arbiter was shut down into whatever inert state that they're in, all of the souls, all of that anima has been going directly to the Maw. And what is anima in the Shadowlands? We know that anima is power and power can be used to shape reality as the pantheon of death has been doing uh, it can be used to create life uh to uh bring souls into different shapes we've seen that through ardwell we've seen that in bastion uh it can be used as a weapon we've seen that in revendreth there's a lot of things anima can do but at its core it's a power source and the jailer has a ton of it right now which is how he's able to do things like send chains out to Corthia and pull it in. It's how he can do things like have all these minions running around, uh, completely broken, but in his, in his army and doing what he wants him to do. He's got almost unlimited power. While that's scary, uh, that has to be remembered. It's, he's not a f- at this point. We don't know how much he has stockpiled. And yeah, the anima drought may be quote unquote over at this point in the storyline for the other realms as we've helped recover some of that. The only way that they've gotten any of that most of the time is from us going and getting it most of the time from the maw with those souls and bringing them back and shoving them into the anima generators. So they're still there in the maw where most of them are. And we're basically just stealing it to fix the drought right now. Like keep that in mind. So all that power getting poured into Anduin, it's probably just a drop in the bucket. Anduin is just the perfect vessel, which allows him to do what he needs to do for this part of his plan. But at the end of the day, if if it come, it becomes easier to dispose of Anduin than to pour power into him, I think the Jailer would wind up disposing of Anduin or finding a way to do that. 
I mean, it's not like he couldn't shove him back in a cage somewhere if he really, really wanted to. He kept him in a cage for this long so far. So there's a lot of other things that could be going on with that. I really don't think it's going to be a case of uh, he just overexpands his, extends his power and then completely just does away with it. The last part of your question uh, with the Arbiter waking up and then doing that that thing, maybe. Again, we don't know where the Arbiter came from, when the Arbiter started doing their job. And honestly, if the Arbiter even cares, because the Arbiter sends people to the Maw, no problem. Like, Soul comes in, well, you're irredeemable. Sweet. Go to this hellacious plane that exists and be tortured for all of eternity. Bye. Like, that's not exactly reminiscent of an entity that cares. That's an entity doing a job. And if it's anything like the attendance that we've seen in Ouroboros, they don't exactly have emotion either. They're, for lack of a better term, robots. They're programmed. Yes, they care. They have a function, but they have a primary function, and that's what they do. They don't care about the moral implication of it. They trust in the way. They trust in, you know, whatever the purpose is, and that's it. There is no, well, maybe they're really a good person, and we should really consider redemption for them. No, they don't care. That's not their job. And pretty much with the Arbiter, that's the Arbiter's job. So if the Arbiter wakes up, and all of a sudden the uh, jailer is defeated or inert or we've done whatever we needed to do or it wakes up and helps us put the jailer back in its place. My gut tells me that the Arbiter is just going to go back to parsing souls. It's not going to go back in time. It's not going to, you know, reform reality. Why would it do that? Why would it care? And that that's that's the thing. Like, it's a cool idea, but it's why would it do that? Why would they make that action? And I don't think they ever would. Anything you want to add to that? I mean, you know, I think the next question actually kind of ties into what I was going to say. So uh, we might as well get to the next question and then I can tie into what I was going to say. Wonderful. All right. So the next question, uh, this one comes from Alex. Do we know where souls actually come from? I find it interesting that Titanforged descendants have souls, i.e. humans, orcs, dwarves, etc. This leaves only a few options for these races as far as I can see. Uh, type 1, Titans can create souls. Two, old gods can create souls, i.e. through the curse of flesh. Three, there's something inherent about the universe that fleshy, sentient beings with free will just have souls. The last option isn't a very exciting answer, so I'd like to imagine it's one or uh, or both of the first two. Clearly, most of the Titanforge don't have souls unless they go to some other realm of the Shadowlands we haven't seen. But do you think Helia has a soul? Odin, maybe? Orcs may have received their souls directly from the spirit element of Draenor, so it could be something else entirely, I guess. Personally, I love endless cycles in fantasy, so I think that when souls are spent into the sh- in the Shadowlands and become anima, entities from the other cosmic realms can use that raw energy for creation in the material universe, creating souls, etc., which in turn feeds the Shadowlands, and so on. Okay, the fact that you mentioned the spirit element on Draenor, but seem to think that it's unique to Draenor, I think it's something we need to talk about. Um, we know that on Azeroth, the majority of the spirit energy is going is feeding into Azeroth, the the Titan, the Titan soul within the world. Um, there's there's enough of a drought of spirit energy that the elementals were fighting over it, and in, the intelligent beings of Azeroth were either created by the Titan Forged or only really started evolving after the elementals were were basically banished to the elemental planes, thus making it possible for somebody else to get their hands on the spirit energy. I think you're looking at a direct one-to-one. Souls come from spirit. Souls are spirit. 
souls are spirits. Spirit energy is souls. It's the, and, and I don't think the Titans can make him. I don't think the old gods can make them. Uh, quite frankly, I'm the opposite of you in that I find that idea unexciting because it also implies something about both the Titans and the old gods that does not seem to be in evidence. Um, if anything, Titans at least are really big souls. Mm-hmm. They, they are beings that they don't die and they don't go to the Shadowlands. And that's an interesting thing to consider. Um, but they definitely seem to be big souls. I mean, the, Azeroth is draining the spirit energy into herself in order to be born. Um, but I think that all, I think that everybody with a soul, it, it is a result of the spirit of the spirit energy in the universe that Azeroth is in entering into them. It's they're they're part of that. They're part of that creation. And it might have something to do with the interplay of the various cosmic forces. Um, it certainly does seem to have something to do with the light, um, but it might also, you know, the interplay of light and void. We know that Fell is created when, when the uh, light and the void explosively destroy each other, essentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's where Fell comes from. It's come from the annihilation of both forces by, by their interaction. And it is interesting that we can make Fell out of souls. The, the Legion has been doing so for a very long time. They have soul engines that they, they basically destroy souls in and make fell. So is fell, is the light and the void interacting the soul of the entire cosmos? Like, how does this work? I don't know the answer to this question, but I definitely think that there's more to souls than just the thing we've seen with anima anima as, as you point out, anima is like the, the is released by these spirits when they go back into the Shadowlands, but it isn't the spirits themselves because you can take the anima out of a spirit that's, you know, a, a dead person, and yet the 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 anima exists separately from them. Yeah, it's we see taken that out of them, and they still exist. Kalthos, Garrosh, those are examples, yeah. right? The ones that you know when they when they pull the you know the the uh, sins, the pride out of these beings, the beings still exist. They don't wither away and become nothing. They don't disintegrate. They exist after that that anima has been given up, and they apparently can make more of it. You know they, what do they call them? Old faithfuls, old reliables. Old reliables, yeah. Yeah, they can make more of it. You can keep them, and you can keep taking anima out of them. There, so their their souls go into the shadowlands, and are yet like permanent generators of of anima. How does that work? What does that mean? We don't know. But we do know that it is, it is a fact. You know, you can if you if somebody is like emotionally strong enough, you can just keep taking anima out of them. Like they they can be you know tapped indefinitely. Which I mean, I guess ties back to the Titan creations as well a little bit too, because like there's a couple questions there that I think are unanswered, right? So we've seen Titan facilities, we've seen a few Titan facilities now in which Titan forged are made. We have a fight that revolves around it when you go into. Uh, Mogashan, right? You there, there's like, the entire engine there that creates life. The engine of Nalaksha. Yeah, it it literally creates Titan Forge as you are sitting there fighting them. We also know that uh, you know, up in the the northern regions, when you are in what is it? The um, I can't think of it now. The the dungeon stone halls of stone and halls, halls of lightning. Yeah, where you see the halls of stone, there's literally all these shells that get animated. But a question well, is the last fight in that dungeon is at the giant forge that yes, makes it is. you know more And if you look over than- and if you look over the edge of that uh the fight platform it's just an endless sea of 
uh, shells of the earthen Vicron, the earthen well, earthen. For that, for that matter, I mean, the entire thing we talked about before with Odin and the Valkyr. Yep, I was going to get to that too. They go forth. They go forth into the Shadowlands to grab back the souls of worthy, you know, Rykul, um, and put them into the Stormforged, which is basically it's it's just another way of you know say, of using souls. I mm-hmm. mean, it's it's you know, and those souls are the ones that were in the the Rykul in the first place. And Odin, who is you know, Odin was not aware of the Curse of Flesh. Like the Curse of Flesh wasn't something Odin ha- took into account. Remember, it's something that comes up later. It's something that Loken uses. I mean that that he's it's part of Yogg's plan to do that kind of thing. It's not something that Odin was was banking on, but he seemed pretty convinced that the Vrykul had souls. Yep. Because he's you know, builds a whole thing to, he he does that whole thing to go get them and bring them back. But the root of my question is one thing that has never been answered as far as either of those engines that create Titan Forged is what's powering them. What what is the energy that is getting put into those Titan Forged that are getting animated? And it's something that I, I don't know if they've ever hinted at, if they've just said that it's, you know, tapped into whatever Titan facility it is. But where does it get that power? And for that matter, Alduar is super powered up. Like, if you go into Alduar, it's not exactly a uh, little tiny place. As a matter of fact, like, the first thing you do is a bunch of those uh, frost earthen, I forgot what they're actually called, uh, Get you run through a field where they're just made. They're just generating from those pillars, right? Like, where is all this energy coming from? Where is all this power coming from? It's not being sapped from Azeroth because that seems counterproductive to what the Titans wanted to do. Oh, well, no, no. Actually, it totally is. Um, If you remember going back to what all that stuff, everything on Azeroth, all the Titan facilities in Azeroth are part of a system that, that takes the power from the Well of Eternity, diverts it, and then uses it and puts it back into Azeroth. Right, into itself. But it does mean that the power that is keeping all of that stuff going is from Azeroth. But then is the power that's getting shoved into the Titan Forge or the Titan Creations, is that pieces of Azeroth as well? I mean, that's the thing that, you know, we know that Azeroth in her nascent form was drawing upon the spirit energy, mm-hmm. the, the fifth element, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we know that the the wound that she received when... Uh, um, oh, bloody heck. Uh, Amonthul. When Amonthul ripped uh, Yish- you know, Yishraj out of the world, the wound that she received was literally leaking her essence forth, and they had to do something to stabilize it. Um, the interesting thing here is it's the that's the energy that we have in Azerite as well. Mm-hmm. And that energy seems to be what she was drawing upon in the first place to make herself a titan. They seem to be all tied up in that spirit energy, mm-hmm. the, the spirit element. Um, is that the element she's like, literally, are they just taking the spirit that she's trying to channel, filtering it through their devices to get a pure, more pure version to feed back into her? Or is it her leaking life essence that they capture, redirect and send back in? I don't that I can't answer, but it's it's definitely based in the energy of, of Azeroth in some form. But I also- and I definitely think it's it's interesting to consider that they may not have intended this but maybe they did maybe they always knew it would happen but the engine of nalik shah and the the one up in uh halls of stone halls of stone um that both of them are definitely being powered by azeroth they, that's where that met that power comes from and and then the Absolutely. and then the follow-up question of that is since you've pointed out that anima seems to be and we've talked about this before like the collection of experience that a living entity has 
if these Titan Forge, which we've seen, can have a range of emotions, they can feel, they can experience, maybe not all of them, but some of them can. Uh, even when we go to, like, uh, the Mogu, when we were dealing with, with them, they started out as, uh, you know, Titan Forge as well, but they're, they're complex in and of themselves. Is that what is necessary? Is it a vessel thing? Is it something where the soul itself is sort of the identity of, of self? But the anima is the collection of experiences that self has. And as a result, can anything generate anima as long as it's capable of feeling and learning? So got me. Don't know. (laughs) But I do think it's interesting to think about the fact. I don't think the old gods can create souls because I don't think the old gods can create anything. No, I don't think they can either because void void is not about creation. And that's that's what they do is they don't they don't make things. They make things awful. Like you know, it's like that, that you know we don't make you know we don't make your car we just make cars better that that Archer Daniel Midland commercial that we all remember it's you know the old gods we don't make souls we make souls horrible um, and I think that that's the thing is they they believe in the whole you know everything is possible thing but they don't actually have the capacity to make anything like look at all the stuff they do even their own servants are born out of the flesh of their forms which are like created from the places they're thrown into like Azeroth is infested with them. And then they, they create the, the, the Naraki and the Akir out of the bodies that they generate by being infested into Azeroth mm-hmm. or other worlds that they're infested in. They're, they're like cancer. They're like, they're literally like cancer. They are like something that comes into to another thing and warps it and twists it. So I don't think the old gods can create souls. Absolutely do not believe that. I don't necessarily think the Titans can create souls. I think the Titans are souls. Mm -hmm. Just the same basic thing. I just, that's what they even call them world souls. They're the souls of worlds. Worlds are alive. Worlds have their own souls. And I think that, you know, the, the beings that have souls on those worlds are part of that process. They're, they're drawing in that, uh, that energy as well. It is an interesting thing to think about. and, And I think that the relationship is just going to get more complicated <laughs> as we find out more. Uh, speaking of Titans, I think we have time for one last one here, which uh, might be a little bit of a quick one. Uh, from Rickles, the Demon Hunter. Uh, Hello, Lore Watchers. I was hoping you could explain to the hierarchy of creations of Titan. I'm confused on how the Titans, Odin, Titan Constructs, Titan Constructs with Personality, and so on, are all connected. Any info would be appreciated. Uh, I don't think I can explain the whole thing to you, but we basically... Um, do you want to go? Like you, you I was going to say, like, it, yeah, it, it's it's sort of a complicated thing. But for me, if I was to like to try to pare it down as quick as possible, you have the Titans, then you have the Titanic Watchers, which are essentially like their generals. Then you have the uh, Titan Forged, which are like the little minions and army men that they play toy soldier with when fighting the Black Empire. Then you have the ones that have developed personality on their way to becoming Curse of Fleshed, and then thus us. Um, I wouldn't even call it a hierarchy. It's just sort of like an evolution of things with the watchers sort of acting as the uh, eyes, ears and extension of the Titans will physically on planet. Yeah, basically, the reason that the Titans have watchers and the keepers are like the heads of the watchers. You've got like Odin and Tyr and, you know, all those guys. Uh, uh, oh, bloody heck. I can't remember her name now. Not A&R. A&R um, but oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Freya. Freya. Um, th- those those keepers are like, for lack of a better word. When the when the Titans saw what was happening to Azeroth, they were like, "Okay," and they've done this on other worlds as well. They're like, "All right, we want to we want to intervene, 
but we don't want to hurt the planet. We don't want to like hurt the, the baby Titan inside of it. Uh, so they made the, the watchers as they're basically like, think of a surgeon using nanoprobes. And that's kind of what you got here. So the watchers are like the smallest thing that the Titans could make that would allow them to directly act through these servants. Uh, it's still enormously powerful, but much, but smaller than the Titans, less powerful than the Titans. And the, the, the watchers had, there were like kind of like King ones, King and queen ones that were like in charge of the rest of them. Those then created their own servants, which is where we get the Vrykul and the, the Mogu and the, the earthen and all of that. Those, those various, the Tolvir, they created smaller ones to serve as their army. As then that was all part of the Titans plan. That's where all the original Titan Forge come from. The ones that are now like humans and dwarves and, you know, the, the flesh ones are a result of the curse of flesh working on those servants. Uh, no keeper has been affected by the curse of flesh. No watcher has been affected by it. Mm -hmm. um, just the, the smaller scale rank and file armies, but that's the basic breakdown. You got the rank and file, then the, the, the watchers and the keepers above them. And then the Titans above them, the Titans made the keepers who made the watchers who made everything else. And that's, that's the basic breakdown. But I mean, if you then want to know about like, you know, there's things like Titan cons, there's the constellars and the Titans. And yeah, that's, there's a lot else. There's a lot <laughs> out there, but we don't really have time for that. The whole breakdown. No, we definitely do not. But I think that's going to do it for us for today. Hopefully that answers your question, at least somewhat. Uh, maybe we'll revisit it in more depth later on. Uh, but Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast slating community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And again, if you have questions for the show or the other show, please be uh Please feel free to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com uh, or hit us up on one of our several Patreon channels. Uh, and with that, folks, we'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.